This is episode 174 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 174 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Carl Schnitzer on the show all the way from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Carl is one of a more unique guest on the show because I haven't had that many American guests lately, but that's definitely something I want to remedy because there's so much to learn about these different markets in the US. And of course, it's of interest to me because I think there's a lot of money to be made down there. And I am, of course, working towards my investor visa for the US. So um, in this episode with Carl, we talked all about investing in Philly, what he's been doing. He also had some investments in Pittsburgh, which he divested of. Um, he was up over 70 units at one point, mostly in the single family territory. So we're talking over 50 houses, uh, no small task. And he is a former police officer who got out of that business. And uh, now he's a full-time investor realtor and uh, really just a wealth of knowledge. He has a very unique and interesting approach. And he's buying houses anywhere from fifty to $60,000, putting you know maybe another sixty, seventy-five thousand dollars $75,000 into them and getting them appraised for anywhere from $150 to $200 and still cash flowing $400 a month. So very different numbers than we might be used to on the uh, north side of the border, especially in the uh, greater Toronto area where I am. Uh, it's just a lot harder to make numbers work in that kind of way. And of course, you're, you're getting into much higher numbers with average purchase prices being, you know, much closer to a million dollars versus well under a hundred thousand dollars. So super interesting to hear his story and hear how he approaches things and what he's looking to do next. And uh, he also brings up a concept of uh, infinite banking and how he's using that to uh, keep his money working in between deals and then borrow against it. So this is a concept you might have heard of. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and want to talk about this on the show and haven't yet put that together. But we did scratch into that uh, topic on this one. And I'm sure I'm going to get a few comments in my uh, my DMs about this as well. So uh, no problem there. I'm, I'm, of course, interested to hear how this works in Canada, too. And I do have somebody that uh, I'm tentatively going to be bringing on to talk about this subject. So with that being said, just before we jump into the episode, as always, I want to let you know that it's a huge help to this show to get it into more people's hands if you take the time to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. And if you are a YouTube watcher, uh, of course, hitting the like, subscribe and notification bell if you haven't already done that uh, will greatly help and comments help even more. So if you could do that, it'd be greatly appreciated. And without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into episode 174 with Carl Schnitzer. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Carl Schnitzer on the podcast. Carl, thanks for doing this. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for being here. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, we were just mentioning that's a very German uh, first and last name you have. Your parents are uh, are German, or yeah, middle Middle Eastern, mostly German. Um, okay. But you know, everyone always between Schnitzer and Carl with a K, it's it's pretty obvious that I'm German. <laughs> yeah, that's like the most German sounding name ever. But yeah. I, I love it. Like my wife and I, uh, we've spent a lot of time in Austria, and then you know we've been to really? Oktoberfest, and you know just I love that culture. So it's uh, really cool. Um, but anyways, uh, you are a unique guest on this show because we don't have a ton lately of uh, American guests on the show. And you are out of the Philadelphia area, right? Yep. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, do you mind just telling me a little bit about yourself in terms of how you got into real estate investing and doing what you're doing right now and you know what real estate investing looks for you like, well, looks sure. like for you right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before I got into real estate, I was actually a police officer for the city of Philadelphia. And as I 
you know, was a cop and, and, you know, patrolling the streets, the district that I was in first, the first district that I was in was, you know, very bad, very poor. The next district that I was in was completely gentrifying. There was new construction on every single block. You, You couldn't turn the corner without seeing construction crews and, you know, third stories being adding to buildings because they're mostly row homes. Um, and I, you know, was just seeing the amount of money flooding the area. And I started networking with some of the flippers that I saw and just kind of dove into real estate education while I, just because I was seeing it all around. And then that kind of led me to, of course, you know, bigger pockets, rich dad, poor dad, all that kind of stuff that really kind of sparked the, um, you know, fire and the fuel for real estate went full force into, you know, education. First, I invested in some flips, bought some rental properties uh, locally in Philly. Then I kind of expanded my investing out to Pittsburgh. And eventually, you know, from there, I ended up, I, I ended up selling Pittsburgh. I only have stuff in Philly now, but you know, I got up to, uh, at, at one time I had like 78 units, um, I don't anymore. I sold off the majority of them. And in 2020, I I finally left the police force and just kind of went into real estate full-time as an investor. And then I also, in the mix of all that, got licensed as a realtor. So I was representing myself. You know, I had access to the MLS and and all that. Okay. I'm obviously going to have many questions, including, you know, the actual uh, market there. Well, Well, first off, how long does it take to become a realtor down there? I think it's a little bit different than it is for us here depends how quickly you do it. If you do the in-person, it's like two weeks. If you do the online course, you, you could finish it in a couple of days. Oh, okay. Like people take like years. Well, some people take years. I, uh, I think yeah, like if you're doing, that. if you're going quick here, you're doing it in like six months. Yeah. No here. I mean, you could, if you really went full time, like you could do a week. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I'm thinking, considering this for, for my plan, if I, uh, if I end up uh, getting the investor visa to, to move to Florida, as uh, yeah. then I would be able to, to do the same there. I don't know if it's as quick there, but uh, I encourage it. Um, you know, there's a lot of people have their own opinions, whether being a realtor helps you as an investor. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to be on the side that I think it absolutely does. Um, oh yeah. For information, right? Information, you know, access to the MLS, which, you know, some investors have that anyway, but representing yourself on both the buy and sale side, you, you know, to me, time. When, when you're doing, you know, 40, 50 transactions as a realtor and an investor that adds up, you know? Yeah. Like what's a, what's a typical realtor commission in, in uh, PA or in Philadelphia? Between five and 6% split yeah. between both sides, you know, either yeah, two yeah, and a half yeah. or three to the buy side, two and a half or three to the sell side. Mm-hmm. And I was, yeah, I was noticing around here, it's a lot more common in some areas to get it, you know, four, four and a half split between both Going sides. down. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, it's, I mean, it's obviously more expensive there. So, you know, that helps, right. Especially if you're doing a lot of deals. Um, what information can you get as a realtor that you can't otherwise where you are, because you have access to uh, say like Zillow, which is pretty up to date with uh, comps and everything. Yeah. The only thing, you know, I don't, I don't dislike Zillow. It doesn't have as much information, you know, as the actual MLS does. So when you log in, you know, to you, to your account, you can get, obviously view all the info. Um, you can see who the listing agent is, you know, once you're kind of in the realtor space, you start to make friends, you know, um, a lot of other realtors and investors in the city. So that actually goes a long way. Mm -hmm. If you see something that's coming soon and you know, the listing agent, you shoot him a text, Hey, you know, uh, is is there any way you could get me in here? 
uh, you know, fairly quickly, maybe before market. Um, that helps out a lot. I like to see the the statistics that you can pull from it. You know, as an investor, that helps a lot when you're pulling your CMA um, comparative market analysis to you know get your ARV for a project. That helps a lot. Obviously, being able to list it yourself, you mm-hmm. can control you know the deal a lot better. Um, maybe not better, but you you can control the deal since you are representing yourself. Yeah. I mean, having your finger on the pulse with a deal is there, there's benefit to be had there. They're, Absolutely. you know, negotiate a little bit more off the price. You're also not paying the middleman who's not as right. motivated to save a few bucks as mm-hmm. you might be. Um, it there's also a lot. Too, there's a lot there. If, you know, if you're a wholesaler, there's some ethics guidelines that, mm-hmm. you know, may limit you to with your wholesaling business. But if you're the investor yourself, you're, you know, either going to buy it, flip it or hold it. Well, you know, wholesale it, flip it or hold it. Approaching a seller as a licensed realtor, I think adds a lot of credibility, you know, to you and your, and your company. That's actually a, a very interesting point. And the other part of it is if you're willing to, um, to, you know, just flip it as a wholesale, having that in there, of course, you, you can come in and say, Hey, I'd like to buy your property direct. But if, yeah. if you choose not to, I, uh, you know, I have other people I could sell it to privately, or we could list it and you can offer them yeah. all three options. It, yeah. And I mean, I, I've done that many times where really you can get, you know, four options. Hey, I, I can wholesale this. I can buy it myself and I'll flip it. I can buy it myself and rent it, or I can list it on market for yeah. you, you know, and then you can kind of adjust your price on yeah. what your exit is going to be. So I think I think for a for a wholesaler's motivation, knowing that all those there's there's gonna be a lot of people you talk to that just want to list. Mm-hmm. And you could yeah. be the listing agent and monetize that, but if you're not a realtor, you can't really. Unless you have yeah. a really good realtor partner that that will pay you, you know, uh, for the leads, which right. I, I don't know. I guess there might be some red tape with that and what you're allowed to yeah, pay for or not. There's a little bit of a legality with that. Yeah, exactly. It's a gray area. So people aren't that comfortable with it. So yeah, then becoming the realtor yourself. Now all of a sudden you have the option, you can do that. Uh, so that's pretty cool. What's it cost like on an annual basis to, to keep your license there? So every two years you have to do re-education. That's a couple hundred bucks um, to hold your license, depending on what brokerage you park your license with the monthly cost is going to vary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some brokerages that don't charge you monthly. However, they may not include, you know, conveyancing or, you know, insurance, things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm with Remax for many reasons and I pay monthly to be a part of Remax. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of varies. I always tell people though, because, you know, when you get your sales license, think of it as a business with startup costs, you know, yeah. like when my, my sister recently got licensed and I remember telling her the, the course walk coursework may cost you a thousand dollars, but I would budget about $10,000. You know, think of it as startup costs for a business. Even after the coursework, mm-hmm. you need to invest in marketing. You need to invest in signs. You would need to invest in all kinds yeah. of things to get the business up and running. I mean, there, there's a reason I think the success rate in, in the whole U S maybe is like 5% of realtors yeah. actually yeah. are successful. And I think that's, you know, changing your mindset to, Hey, this is a business and it's their startup costs to the business versus, Oh yeah, I can pay, you know, a thousand dollars. Like it's a college degree and then go out and and Mm -hmm. just work. No, you need, and I would encourage anybody who's thinking about doing it, like have a mentor, have a coach, like have somebody that that's successful that you can model after. Cause if you go out and try and invent the wheel, you're just going to, you're just going to waste time, waste time and waste money. 
that, that yeah. goes across any industry. You know, yeah. I'm big on mentorship and investing in education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, and it'll show in your results, right? Like if you, Absolutely. there's nothing wrong with copying somebody who's successful and copying yeah. their approach. And then down the road, you can innovate a bit once you know it's what the, you're doing. I think yeah. the quotes like good artists copy, great artists steal. Yeah. <laughs> we'll steal the same framework. As uh, yeah, so I, I've been a musician for most of my life, and and okay. I always found songwriting so difficult. And the only way I could make it easy was if I could steal ideas from multiple yeah. different songs. I'm like, if I just if I just relied on one, I'd end up sounding like that song. But what if I took the way they sang that song and the way <laughs> the way yeah. this you know instrumentation was, and then you'd come up with something unique. Behind my my curtain, I have uh like ten guitars maybe and piano, a couple drum sets, and all kinds of stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. You'll have to send me a picture of that collection after we're, uh, we're okay. done. I'd love to see it. Um, I need a new jam space. I've, this is my podcast studio took up my jam space. So we'll, uh, we'll have to figure that one out as we go. Um, how long were you a police officer? Like when did, uh, what age were you when you started and, and when you said you just quit? Uh, a couple well, I, was, years ago? Uh, I guess 22 through 26. I only did four mm-hmm. years. Um, okay. You know, and some of that was police academy time. So it wasn't long, you know, mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, I, I wasn't even vested in the pension, which is a 10 year minimum. Okay. And, you know, I was basically 2020 is when I left, we had all kinds of riots here and it just crazy nonsense going on. And at that point I had, you know, rental income coming in. I had income from flips. I had income from uh, insurance that I do. And my wife and I, we, we kind of just sat down and we were like, look, the, the money's not worth the risk anymore, mm-hmm. you know? And it was, it was a time commitment, you know, putting 40 plus hours a week into something, you know, that's trading time for money versus I knew if I focused full time on investing, I would grow a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. It was a big, big, uh, you know, kind of change in everything. When you can focus full time hours into investing, you know, the needle moves pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's definitely true. Like I'm I would I wish I could say I'm like full-time investing, but I do so many things and you know, yeah, exactly. If I was just focused on finding deals, I can only imagine how many I I would be uh, bringing in for sure. So definitely. what on that note, like what's what's your typical week look like? Like what are the primary activities you engage in? Um and so, give me an idea of what of what you're like trying to do in a year. Are you trying to do like 10 flips or 10 acquisitions to keep? Like what what's your goal in a year? I don't, I mean, I guess I should have goals written down right now. I'm kind of taking a pause on buying. Um, not, not so much for any reason that I think the market's going to crash more so that I want to switch markets where I'm investing. And I haven't taken the time to research the new markets that I want to go into, actually go drive around them, learn, you know, who the players are in that market, the other investors. So that's kind of the reason why I'm pausing a lot of, so I only have, like a dozen units left and they're all in Philadelphia. And I want to transition out of investing in Philadelphia. Um, The flip market here is good, but the rental market is pretty, um, pretty, pretty tenant friendly. You know, just for example, I had one issue that took two years to get a a squatter out of a house. Oh, really? So, so the laws are are what's affecting. Um, Definitely. Yeah. It's it's very tenant friendly. What, like, what would you be buying? Like what's your, what's your bread and butter, like type of building to go after in Philly? So, I mean, I've done the past few years, like your typical Burr investment. I mean, that's how I built the whole portfolio. Like a duplex or a single family? More, more so single family. Okay. Um, I've had, 
I haven't had anything more than four units. That's been my max between okay. singles, duplex, triplex, four units. What I'm really targeting now is higher, um, not higher, but more, you know, unit multifamily, like maybe in like the 12 to 30 mm-hmm. unit kind of sweet spot. I, I don't syndicate and I have no intention to syndicate, uh, you know, everything that I have, I want to be the full owner of, um, mm-hmm. you know, people have their own opinion of that. That's, that's my cup of tea. That's what I want to do. Um, so right now that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm not going to pass up, you know, if I see like a base hit or, you know, a single or a double, yeah. I'll still pick it up, but that's not what I'm looking for. You know, I'm looking mainly for that, like, you know, 10 to 30 unit would be awesome. Yeah. And ideally not in Philadelphia for the legalities. Yeah. Not, not in Philadelphia. There's, there's pros and cons, but Philly is, you know, you can just research the news. Philly is pretty crazy. Everything that's going on now. Yeah. Yeah. Very. It would be a, a, I would assume be a tenant friendly place. Now, is it the city's laws or the state's laws that are, are creating that? A little bit of both. Yeah. Of both. I mean, so like that one case that I had with two years trying to get this person out, there's a lot of things that kind of combined with that between, mm-hmm. you know, uh, between local level rules and regulations, state level. And then we had the, the federal eviction moratorium. So there was a lot of things that played into that. Yeah, it's insane. The whole CDC thing. Oh my gosh. It was, <laughs> Which it was I remember hearing somebody say like they didn't even have the power to do that. But yeah. Two so. years it took me. I, oh, I bought a house in February of 2020, did not get her out until yeah. February of 2022. Wow. Well, I had uh, one of the guys that came on my uh, podcast, a Canadian guy investing in uh, New York. And he, uh, I forget which town it was in, but he said that uh, similar issue, people, people uh, not being kicked out. And what it did is it would, it actually increased average rent by a hundred or 200 bucks a year for all new leased units. Right. Because yeah, it doesn't help. (laughs) I mean, that's the one good thing Philly has going for it is that you can pick up, you know, properties. My, my kind of like average deal looks like a between 50 and 60 K purchase rehab, you know, full gut between like 60 and 80,000, maybe a little bit higher with, with current prices. But then on the back end, you know, you, you can get a, an ARV value between 150 and and 200, depending on the neighborhood. So you can do a pretty good, you know, burr investment and the rent support it. I mean, I'm buying stuff right now. Um, my, my last deal that I bought, you know, I picked it up for 58,000 and I have it rented currently for 1200 a month. Um, and my rehab on that was pretty low. So what you're was not your rehab quite, on that ballpark? That one was like 15,000, but I didn't do, I didn't okay. replace the heater or the roof. It was more so just some cosmetic stuff. Okay. So if you were to have done the full shebang on that, what would it have been like 60,000 or something? Probably about, yeah, around 60. You know, okay, if you're so. doing heater and roof, you know, slightly more, you know, Philly's all flat roofs for the most part where okay. we're investing. It's not like suburbs with, with big shingles. You can do a full yeah. roof replacement for five grand in Philly. Um, so you're just using uh, like a, a membrane type product where it, it yeah. is seal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all pretty, you know, cut and dry. I, I stick to the market in the neighborhood that I like is actually where I worked as a cop. So okay. I know the area really well. I know, you know, cops, if I have any issues in that area, I know, you know, where I'm, where I'm investing is like class lower C D mm-hmm. areas. So I think there's, there's good and bad parts to that. The the good part is that, you know, those neighborhoods scare away a lot of people, whereas yeah. that's where I worked. I know it, you know, really well. And, you know, one thing I learned and from being a cop in that area, you know, 
one of the things I'm most grateful for, you know, having been in law enforcement is that I've learned that even in those, you know, quote unquote, ghetto areas, poor areas, whatever you want to call it, there's, there's so many good people there that make awesome tenants. Everyone thinks mm-hmm. that, you know, oh, if you're investing in this bad area, your, your tenant selection is all going to be, you know, like a bad, you know, tenant selection, section eight and everything like that. And that's completely false. I mean, there's, there's good people that still live in those areas just because one, you know, they can't afford more or that's where they grew up. That's where all their family lives. They know that area well, and they choose to live there. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of like, you know, my tenants are awesome. And like when I, I got a lot of backlash when I was a cop for buying in those areas, cause people are like, Oh dude, you know, you're crazy. Why would you ever buy there? There was a shooting there last week, this or that or whatever. Like, that's great. You know, my, my tenants are awesome. They don't do any of that nonsense. They're all working class. I take care of them. I take care of the house. They take care of me. It's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. I like that. Now, how do you screen in an area like that? Like walk me through your screening process. So I don't screen them myself. I have a property manager that does everything. Okay. Once I finish the renovation, you know, the, the key goes to my property manager. Yeah. He does tenant selection. He screens it. Um, and, and that's it. You know, I'll see them if I'm in the area and I got to get, you know, pictures for the insurance company or, or whatever mm-hmm. and meet them. But I do not do that myself anymore. Okay. And do you have any sort of um, insight on what he's doing? Like, is he doing criminal background checks on them? Like, how deep is his due diligence on on tenants? He does do, background do you need check. To yeah. I mean, he'll do background check, credit score, like income, all that kind of stuff. A lot of him, a lot of his tenants have been with him for 15, 20 plus years. Um, he's, you know, older than I am. Mm-hmm. former investor himself with, you know, a few hundred units in the area. He manages himself and he, he's got a whole team in place. So he is the manager, but he has a whole team mm-hmm. there. Um, and a lot of the tenants, he's slowly selling off his portfolio. So as tenants are moving out, he's pushing them into units. He's managing for other people like myself, where, you know, I, I've had tenants where he didn't do any, you know, kind of screening because, one, one tenant has been leasing off of him for like 28 years or something ridiculous now in one of my houses, but mm-hmm. she's been with him for, you know, almost 30 years. Okay. Yeah. That's not a bad tenant to have. Yeah, I, I really don't have a good screening process because I don't do it myself. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I, I really don't know what he does. You know, I, I trust him w- with it all. So I haven't had any bad issues. Okay. The only issues I've ever had with tenants were inherited tenants, ones that yeah. we didn't place. Yeah, and I know, I know that feeling. Uh, you'll somehow that consistently is a problem for every investor. Inherited tenants. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's it's a shame too because I'll see. You know, even like last week, I looked at a deal and it was the numbers would work, but I'm not going through the hassle of removing a tenant again. It's not going to yeah. work. It's not worth the headache anymore. Interesting to know. Now, just just to jump back to this deal you're talking about. So you had about, you said 15,000, let's just assume you put in the 60, what would that have been worth? You know, with the 58,000 purchase, $60,000 renovation with the 60,000 renovation, yeah. you'd probably get above 150. Um, yeah. you know, with my small renovation, we appraised for like 125. So it was still, you know, a great deal where I was able to recoup my money okay. and, um, you got a 125. Okay. Let's run the, the numbers yeah. based on 125 doing yeah. a little so basic was- renovation. So yeah, 15, we'll say fifty-eight. In. We'll say sixty thousand was purchase. Reno was like fourteen and change. We'll say fifteen. So I was all in around seventy-five plus closing costs. I got a commission on it. We, you know, we won't okay. even count that. Um, 
Okay. I was all in. It was around like, I want to say probably 82,000 or so with all the transfer tax. 82. Oh, you have like a land transfer tax? Yeah, we have, we have to pay state and city transfer tax. Dang. Yeah. That's like, that's like it is here in Ontario. uh, Philly's always got to have their hand in something. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how that works. Um, what would you pay uh, on tax, uh, like for that house uh, annual property taxes? Oh, cheap. Maybe like I think they're five fifty, maybe six hundred bucks. Which is okay. one of the reasons too I like the, you know, quote unquote lower end housing because, you know, my mortgage on that after I refied is, I don't know, four or five hundred bucks a month. I'd have to look it up. Mm-hmm. Property taxes a year are five hundred bucks. You can have twelve months of reserves with just you know a few few thousand dollars. It's not like your mortgage yeah. is fifteen hundred and you need you know fifteen grand to feel secure. You can with these houses. You can feel secure with six grand in the bank reserves for that account. Yeah, you're yeah. making me want to invest in Philadelphia right now. Um, yeah, Phil. I mean, it depends. I, I wouldn't really recommend it unless you're local. Um, just knowing the area, right? So yeah, yeah. But it, there are. I mean, there's pros to class C, class D neighborhoods. Yeah. You talk to like some of the bigger investors, like Cardone's big on class A only, and you know what, if we hit a recession or, or, you know, a depression, those class A people are going to be coming down into class B and C. Yeah, so exactly. They're going to be dropped down a class. Yeah. yeah. Um, what would you pay on that house you were just describing for insurance annually? I believe it's like seven fifty a year. Oh, that sounds nice, man. These numbers sound really appealing. Maintenance. Yeah. What do you budget on an annual for maintenance? Yeah. 10% normally. 10%. Yeah. It's you're, you're getting into low enough numbers that you got to kind of budget 10%. So that's still only $1,440 a year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I, I go, my goal is like 400 a month cash flow. you know, 400 a month cash flow. I'll, right. And if I can, if I can pull out all of my money, that's great. Yeah. If I pull out more, you know, even better, yeah. but I, I won't pull out more, even though I, you know, everyone could have their own argument on why you should, but I won't pull out more if I'm not getting that like 400 plus range cash flow. Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. You know, if I can refi out 75% loan to value, but that'll take me to a cash flow of like 300, I would rather personally pull out maybe 65, 70% loan to value to keep my cash flow higher. Yeah, and that's yeah. more so just an OCD thing than it is an actual, you know. No. We all have our, our systems. Yeah, we all yeah. have our systems, like something that lets us sleep at night. So I, I don't, yeah. uh, I, I don't fault you for that. I think that's that's yeah. smart, sticking with what what feels comfortable. Management wise, what are you paying? So people don't believe me. I pay four percent in management, including leasing. Yes. Well, no. So he'll take one month. You know, first month rent yeah. for leasing. So what does that average out to then? So you're four percent plus leasing, but you probably only lease every what three years on average. Any tenant he has placed has not left yet. Never left. So we almost no. don't even, we almost just want to treat that yeah. as a, as an investment. And so he, yeah. technically his, his management is just rent collection. Mm-hmm. So however, for, you know, me and the amount of properties I have with him, he'll, he'll still take phone calls and manage it for me. But the majority of people he's managing, he just does rent collection for 4%. Mm-hmm. So he'll go around literally every month and door knock, either pick up cash or a check. With, there's no like online system for yeah. management. It's, he's old school. That's that's the insane part is the amount of people. I guess it's the class of tenant you're dealing with is they will actually pay rent. Yeah. So this guy, or... he, he's probably in his late 60s now. And he has told me before, one of his like keys to successful management is 
you know, hand collecting rent. These tenants know he'll be there every month knocking on the door. It's not an app that they have to pay for. And if they Mm -hmm. don't pay for it, he's not coming. He'll be there within the first week of every single month knocking Mm -hmm. for rent, you know? Yeah. It sounds like a very different world from the way we do things here, but um, this is why it's so important to know where you're investing and know what's normal. Definitely. Um, Yeah. That, that, I I think, you know, similar things were happening with the uh, Youngstown, Ohio properties I had, but again, Mm -hmm. I wasn't involved directly, but I I do believe it was the same. Of course, my property manager was just keeping the rent. So that did, that didn't help, but uh, (laughs) I live and learn. Um, Do you have any other expenses on that? Like do you landscape or probably not? They probably take their, their uh, row homes. Yeah. yeah. We don't do landscaping. Are there some of the HOA houses fees or condo no fees? No. Some of the houses I'm in charge of water. Some of the houses tenants are in charge of it. Yeah. It depends on their lease and um yeah. you know, so kind of what we negotiated that time. But this then, one that we were just talking about, are are you paying water there? No, no water. No water they, there. They, so yeah, water, gas, and electric. Your management's like 570 bucks a year. You have no landscaping. You've uh, like, we could even just leave like a hundred bucks for miscellaneous yeah. there, I guess. This one in particular, um, I am expecting some more maintenance costs than normal since I didn't do the full, you know, renovation mm-hmm. to it. So yeah. you know, I'll probably put a little bit more than 10% aside. Um, okay. But for, for the most part, you know, those are my like right. kind of cookie cutter deals. Okay. Well, even if we put in 15%, like that's two grand a year, I think that that's a very reasonable number that still puts you at a 8.2% cap rate, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Yeah. Did you refinance that one based on the 125 at 75% loan to value? Correct. Yes. Okay. And 30 year amortization? 30 year am rate was kind of crazy on it. Um, you know, I, the, the refi lender that I'm using mm-hmm. since I'm self-employed investor only now, I don't have any kind of W2 income anymore. So I, I get these no doc refi mm-hmm. loans and the, the rates are a little bit higher. This one was like 6.625 or something. Really? I'm surprised it's that high for you because I've heard numbers less Canadian. than that being like Canadian. Tier one credit too. I mean, my my credit's perfect and that was the best mm-hmm. I could get. Normally my my old numbers prior to like 2022, I was refined for like four and a half, which was which was a lot better. Yeah. Um, but now I mean we're we're over six easily with tier one credit. Okay. All right. So I, I'll share with you the company I, I've been talking to. I don't know, you know how they're going to work out in the long run, but uh, they've told me uh, numbers lower than that for right now. Maybe it's useful for you to have a conversation with them. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, so I've got, uh, I'm showing 260 a month cash flow, but obviously I beefed up the, uh, the uh, maintenance and I put in a miscellaneous uh, amount for um, for, uh, just anything that might come up, but that's still, you know, I look at that as you've got a buffer there. We've, we've budgeted well for our maintenance. Um, obviously you're not actually paying that on a monthly. It's going to be those surprise things that come up. You have to, you have to deal with. So, uh, that actually looks, you know, pretty reasonable. Like I'd buy deals all day long at that, if I could predictably do that. And plus you are a perfect burr on that one with $26,000 back in your pocket. Yeah. Um, that one I'm thinking now. So I, I this was in December was the last deal that I bought. Um, actually, no, sorry, I bought it in December, refied it in February. Mm-hmm. My cash flow is a little bit more than that. I will have to pull up my performance. See, yeah. but yeah, I mean, either way, you know, it, it's it's a healthy market where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you don't worry about vacancy, or what's what's your feel on vacancy? How how big of a concern is I, it? It's really not a concern. You know, it, maybe it should be, but I, I haven't experienced it yet. You know, there's such a strong demand mm. 
for renting right now in the market that I'm at that, you know, even if somebody did leave with a quick cleaning, maybe, you know, carpet paint, whatever it needs, you, you can get at least easily, you know, for the same amount or more. Okay. And is what's, what's the worst thing that's happened, you know, in, in terms of like across all these 80 some odd doors you've had in terms of a tenant experience, like what's, what's the worst of it? How, how bad's it getting? How'd you deal with it? So I've had like the one, the two, two year squatter was pretty bad. That yeah. was, you know, annoying. It was kind of funny too. So one of our houses in Pittsburgh, you, you, you get to a point where there, these were all like single family duplex triplex. And, you know, I, I would recognize the address if I saw it, but I, you know, I couldn't tell you all 70 some, what well, was like 55 houses or so. I couldn't tell you all of them off the top of my head. And one time our property manager in Pittsburgh, he texted my partner and I on those Pittsburgh deals. I had a partner and it was like a news link of like SWAT busted down door of this one, but it was like a, a mother and a daughter selling drugs or whatever it was. And we texted back. We were like, man, like sucks for them. And he's like, you guys own this one. We're like, oh crap. We didn't even realize we didn't recognize the address until he said it. So that one was kind of funny. I mean, we had to completely redo that. Um, you know, city does not pay for the door after they bust it down. We learned that. So, Interesting. Um, yeah, it was, uh, that was a funny one. I've, we've been pretty lucky. We got hit hard in 2020 in the Pittsburgh stuff with tenants not paying. Um, you know, we, we were grateful and, and, you know, luckily we had some forbearances from the mortgage company over the whole portfolio. So, you know, I wouldn't say 2020 was necessarily easy. Luckily we didn't have to contribute any money. However, our cash flow did significantly drop on all that. So that was kind of tough. Um, you know, I, I think it's all part of the game though. And that's kind yeah. of where having your reserves, you know, comes in. Yeah. I was going to say like, even if you look at like the SWAT going into that one and then you had squatters, if you look at your overall profitability on your portfolio, portfolio, even when those things happen, if you sort of budget that those things are going to happen with the type of class you invest in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if the model absolutely. still works, then you don't look at the micro so much. You just budget for it. Oh yeah, that yeah. happened. But overall, exactly. I'm still very popular, profitable. That's right. the way I would look at that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's similar how we do it too. So, and then, I mean, where we kind of keep our reserves anyway, um, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with like the infinite banking concept, we keep all of our reserves inside insurance contracts anyway. So that money's growing, you know, even mm-hmm. as it's sitting in reserves. So you buy insurance policies with a cash value and then borrow against them basically. Correct. Yes. Okay. So anything you pull out of these houses, if it's still cash flow, throw it into an insurance policy and then you can just borrow back against that when you want. That's, that's my strategy. Yeah. So I keep the majority of, you know, liquidity, both, both business and personal stuff in insurance contracts. That's going to grow, you know, uninterrupted compounded, you can access up to 90% of it, you know, whenever you want. So if any issues having any, any kind of big, you know, capital expenditure or anything you can pull from it and mm-hmm. pay. So, and, um, what, what's your percentage growth typically inside of your insurance portfolio? It depends on the carrier. I mean, you can see anywhere from four to 6%. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, you get a guaranteed rate and then you get a dividend on top of the guarantee. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually, I work for a firm as well that specializes in designing these contracts. The, you know, four to six may not, you know, wet your whistle. However, it's a savings account. It's not the investment. It's, it's, you know, the way to think about it is it's the high 
interest savings account that can fund the investment. It's not right. the actual investment. Yeah. I mean, that's a handy tool if you can make a little bit of a return and then I borrow against it. As far as interest rate, when you borrow against it, what are you paying? Between three and 4%, depending so on still your, profitable your barrier overall. product. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. I keep getting people bug me to come on the show and talk about infinite banking. I'm like, we just talked about it. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I don't think so. I mean, if the majority of your audience is in Canada, we, like my, my firm that I work at cannot write policies in Canada, but we mm-hmm. have a, a partner that we work with that can, I think it's a little bit different, um, on the licensing yeah. laws around it. So we're, you know, we, we do 49 States in, in the U S everywhere, gotcha. but New York. everywhere, but New York. Oh, I was going to say like, what, yeah. not Hawaii or something. <laughs> New, New York makes it too, too hard to maintain your license that it's not even worth it. Gotcha. Interesting. I can't imagine them doing that. (laughs) Not at all. Um, Okay. So what are you looking at now? Like what's, what's the ideal uh, place for you to invest or what are some markets that you're looking at and saying, Hey, the grass is greener over there. So I don't like to go out of state, you know, and and again, people have their own, you know, kind of, kind of philosophy around investing. A lot of people I'm sure can make a ton of money investing out of state, but me personally, I'm kind of hands-on and I want to be able to go to the buildings if needed. So I, I'm looking kind of like in a five-hour radius right now mm-hmm. around me um, for investing markets. And you know, if, if anyone's listening is familiar with Pennsylvania or, or Philadelphia, where I'm kind of targeting right now, is it's called the Lehigh Valley. And that consists yeah. of like a couple towns called like Allentown, Bethlehem, Reading, Pennsylvania. It's It's outside of Philly. You know, I know some investors out there that are doing really well. It's fairly close, you know, to me where I, I can go look at stuff myself. I've never bought anything sight unseen, and I, I'm I'm not a fan of doing that. Um, mm-hmm. Just me, me personally, I like to go walk everything myself or send somebody I trust, you know, to go look at something. But I'm not a, yeah, I haven't got comfortable investing out of state yet. Okay. No, that makes sense. So are you near like the Lehigh tunnel? I, I've driven through there. Kind of, Yeah. So that's like yeah. Poconos area. Yeah. So Lehigh Valley is just South of the Poconos. Yeah. So you're, yeah, I know where Allentown is. Um, okay. Really nice town. Uh, I've been to a bunch is Bryn Mawr. I don't know if you ever go yeah, up there. So Bryn Mawr is just outside of Philadelphia. Actually, I got a yeah. deal in my email today. Um, Bryn, Mawr, Bryn Mawr. Bryn Mawr would be a sweet place to own. Like, I feel like it's very affluent. Like it's a much like, uh, there's a lot of money there. A lot of money. Yeah. A lot of the, um, like Philadelphia sports players live out there. Oh, okay. But would the numbers work up in a place like that? I mean, obviously your rents are probably a bit higher, but the, the property flipping, prices yes. are way more. Yeah. Flipping it would work. Renting probably not. Yeah. Not, not as ideal for yeah. that. You gotta, I mean, place. If, you flip, if you flip out that way, um, you got to go pretty high end finishes with everything. Mm-hmm. A lot and of money. Th- and I wouldn't like that for the very simple fact that I can't rent it out if the market goes soft and now all of a sudden it's not worth as much. Now, my only option is to either rent it out and lose money every month or sell it and lose money now. I don't like either yeah. of those options. So that's right. why I wouldn't really be keen on that. You know, yeah. it, it, worst case, you know, maybe if you're flipping and your worst case is a, a break even rental, I guess, you know, things could be worse. But uh, yeah. to do it knowing you lose sucks. I like to look at, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's investors out there making a ton of money. But to me, and kind of just where I'm at, you know, the liquidity that I have, to me, that would I would feel too risky doing that. You know, if the market mm-hmm. went south or the the rehab budget went over, mm-hmm. it, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night just you know with peace of mind that it's mm-hmm. a potential loss on a deal. You know, the stuff that I'm buying now, you know, I like it because 
my loans, you know, I'm not dealing with a lot, 60 to me, at least like 60 to $80,000 mortgage to me, that's not really risky. Um, that sounds you know. amazing. Yeah. I mean, you figure too, like 12 months worth of mortgage payments. I mean, you figure if your mortgage is, I don't know, at most maybe six fifty a month, you could have 12 months of mortgage payments for 7,800 bucks. Yeah. You know, and that, that that's a, that's a pretty solid place to be. Yeah. You know, like uh, th- those numbers just sound so different from here. Like people, people around where I am, like they're buying, uh, they're buying a house to Burr, turn it into a duplex for $800,000. They're buying yeah. it at 800 that, <laughs> and it'll be um, worth like one to 1.1 when they're done. And yeah, it'll, it'll bring in 4,500, you know, 4,300 in rent, but those numbers are, are, they don't work nearly yeah. like your numbers work. I'd rather I, have four houses than one that. like that. Yeah. We're, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not like a Dave Ramsey follower by any means. However, I do it. There's like a sweet spot with how much debt I'm okay with. You know, I, I understand mm-hmm. good, good debt versus bad debt, but I, you know, I'm not one of those people that likes millions and millions of dollars of debt. Even when I had the Pittsburgh portfolio and everything and was seven figures, you know, in debt, we had equity. Don't get me wrong, but I did not like that feeling, you know? No, it's not a fun feeling. It's, yeah. it's it's something that Canadians have conditioned themselves with, though. Like, yeah. I mean, especially in in the areas like where where I uh, live, it's just it's an inevitability if you want to invest around here. Like the average kind of purchase price in your market right now. Like the average purchase price across Canada now is is uh, over seven hundred thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! Like, that's yeah, that's the whole country, including all the really cheap areas. Like wow. in our in Burlington, I've got to assume it's over. A What's million. the average income? Oh, like 60, 70 grand a uh, person. How do people do that? It, they don't. They don't do it smart. Like, I mean, that's this is why um, Canada is so left leaning because, I mean, a lot of people are giving up. They're giving up on the thought of home ownership. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, how, how how could you not? When you look at the the prospects of home, home ownership, I mean, outside of the, our real estate investor community where we sort of, we get it, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's a really quick way to make people not not think about having a family if they think, you know, why try? I'll just, you know, live in mom and dad's basement for now. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then I don't need to get in my own home, which is too hard anyway, because the incomes won't make sense. Right. Um, it's it's yeah, a tricky okay. thing. The whole US average home price is 270000 Right. And that includes places like New York City yeah. and, you know, LA where, where the prices are insane. And mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot more options. That's why I really like the U.S. as uh, you know as a prospect. I really like Florida right now, and you know Southwest Florida. I'm kind of picking one of the the cheapest markets in that whole area to invest mm-hmm. in because I feel like, like you said, if a recession happens, people are going to pick the cheaper area to go to, not the more expensive ones. So some people who might have picked Naples will now pick Cape Coral, and you know yeah. that's that's to my benefit. So you know, it's tough these days to figure out a recession proof plan, but it sounds like you've got a very good one. Cause you're into the, some of the most affordable housing. And I love that concept. Yeah. It's, it's affordable housing. And then, you know, I'm very confident and comfortable with the reserves that I have within the insurance contract. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's not invested in any stock, so it can't go down. It's mm-hmm. guaranteed interest, you know, even though it's not much, but it's, it's there and it's kind of peace of mind. I'm a, I'm a pretty, low risk, you know, conservative ish investor. Um, you know, I just don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't like to get on board with like the, you know, people in orange County flipping millions, yeah. you know, million dollar homes to me, that's like way too much risk. I, well, I guess it depends on your personal situation, but 
in times in times like when, when things are good, everybody looks like a genius, right? And when you're yeah. flipping those high end homes, you look like a genius until you don't, right? So you got, if you're on the gravy train, you got to know that that might stop one day. And, yeah. and a lot exactly. of people aren't prepared for that. So there are a lot of people who look like geniuses right now here and in the U.S. Like it, it's um, you know I, I forget who said this. I think it was a Warren Buffett quote, but you'll you won't see until the tide goes goes out who's been swimming without shorts on. Yeah. And uh, you know we we very very well may see that soon. Now I do want to ask you your thoughts on the market there, interest rates rising, what's happening home prices because across the U.S. I believe two straight years of fifteen percent or higher property appreciation. Yeah. So honestly, I, I really don't have like a great opinion on it. You know, obviously being a realtor, I have clients and they ask me that all the time, like daily, mm-hmm. what I think's happening. And so I'm, I'm in the middle. There's experts saying that it's going it's to crash and there's experts saying that it's not going to crash. And I understand both sides, both sides kind of make sense to me. Mm-hmm. What I'm personally doing is looking at what, you know, institutions are doing people that are way smarter than I am. And they're all still buying, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're buying single family homes like they never have before. Which institutions think, are you referring to? Like Blackstone and... Oh, yeah, yeah. Black, yeah. BlackRock, you know, Vanguard, any of the big institutions. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I sit on a call every quarter with the, this group. The guy's a, a Harvard economist and he gives like a real estate state of union. And basically on the last one, what he said was that the high, you know, pricing that we're experiencing is just simple economic supply and demand. Demand's high, mm-hmm. supply is low, therefore price is going to be high. There's a lot of things causing that and going to cause it to get worse. So in that sense, you know, he's predicting prices are going to rise, which I understand it makes sense, you know, there's baby boomers which were once the largest generation, all their kids are at the age to buy homes now. So the the demand for help, housing is huge. Everyone wants to buy a house Everyone has all this new imaginary money that was printed. They have mm-hmm. the money to buy a house. The the builders can't keep up with it. You know, between mm-hmm. supply chain issues, nobody wants to work. They have no labor. They can't keep up with the demand. So the price is going to continue to rise. That's the one side, which, yeah, I understand with. Then you look at the other side that, well, with interest rates rising, people won't be able to afford as much. Therefore, prices are going to come down. And I'm like, yeah, that, that makes sense. I'm kind of in the middle yeah. where I understand both sides and I feel like, you know, we're, we're in unprecedented times. So, you know, my personal opinion is that anyone that has a confident opinion is kind of like, I don't want to say like full of crap, but you can't base anything right now off of previous periods in history because we're in unprecedented times. We've never had this much debt. We've never had this high, well, we've had high, high inflation, but we've never had this much you know, outstanding debt. The U.S. is what twenty trillion dollars, something stupid like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's crazy, and we can't base what's going on now with the past. The the one tricky thing, like I knew why Canada had uh, hugely outpaced uh, demand from supply in the U.S. There is a big supply of housing. It just depends on where you go, right? You can go to cities that have had houses boarded up for years, and all they really need is you know some love. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas you, I don't know that you have the immigration problem we have here in Canada where they're bringing so many people into the country yeah. and they just can't keep up. Like you said, cannot keep up, can't get labor, supply chain issues. We're doing 400,000 new immigrants and only 200,000 new houses. So it's a, it's a recipe for prices to go up. Now, like you said, interest rates go up, people can afford less. I see them as competing forces. We have many competing forces. And 
and it's a question of where things will land. And yeah, so I like I the way you put it. That. Yeah, I like the way you put it. I had almost this exact same discussion on my last podcast, and it's 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 interesting to see people who haven't talked to each other having the exact same thoughts on the matter. And yeah, um, yeah I, I tend to believe that it isn't all doom and gloom for real estate investors. Buy fundamental real estate. And be willing and able to to ride things out if needed, if and as That's, needed. Yeah, I mean, I, I got a text yesterday. Somebody asking me, you know, they they sent me a deal they were looking at. He was he was another cop friend of mine, and you know, I'm always willing to help out other law enforcement and, and first responders. And he was like, hey, you know, what do you, what do you think about this deal? And I said, well, what's your what's kind of your game plan with it? And you know, what I'm telling, what I told him, and what I'm telling other people is, if you intend to hold it, the property for you know, 10 years, more than that, you're, you're going to be fine. You know, even if the market does come down slightly, mm-hmm. you're, you're not a short-term investor. So really like, as long as you can refi before that, you're fine. You know, if you're intending to buy for two or three years and then sell it, that's when you could see, you know, I don't think you'd be underwater, but you may mm-hmm. not be exactly where you want to be. Um, it's crazy too. I mean, just so you know, knowing your market's so important too, because, you know, in Philly, we have several counties surrounding us. There's Delaware County, Bucks County, Montgomery County. And if you look at, you know, this is where it helps being a realtor too, having the this, this statistics, those counties pricing are ridiculous because everyone's fleeing the city. Everyone mm-hmm. is trying to get out of Philadelphia because of just how, how poorly it's run. You know, every city department is terrible and everyone wants to flee. The crime rates, you know, we were at one point leading the whole country in homicides mm-hmm. uh, in like early March and they're not doing anything about it. So everyone's trying to get out of Philly, which, you know, demand is already high, you know, looking at the grand scheme of things, but in the suburb counties, demand is so high because everyone's mm-hmm. fleeing the city. So it yeah. used to be like, you could get a, a suburb house, like a, you know, nice single family detached home for between two fifty and 300,000 in the suburbs Mm-hmm. And now that's that's like half a million or more, five, six hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. And those houses that are going for five hundred, six hundred thousand, they're all going cash, no contingencies, no appraisals, mm-hmm. nothing. Um, it, it's yeah. very competitive, you know, even as a realtor, because I still have some clients that I work with. It's it's tough if you don't have cash um to, to get an offer landed right now. Yeah, that's super interesting to to hear that going on. And I've seen much of the same um you know, obviously from what I've been doing in Florida, like seeing the people just flocking to Florida, oh, Florida's crazy, Florida, and similar Texas. reasons, right? Because people look at Florida and Texas as the wild, you know, free land where you can, you know, you can still live a normal life. And especially with all the, you know, even Philly just reinstated their mask mandate and then it got <laughs> done yeah. away with, Four, right? Four days later or something. It didn't work. Oh yeah. We decided not to, the science changed. Yeah. Um, You're concerned with that, but not with the, uh, you know, homicides. massive amount of homicides and shootings yeah. we have. Yeah, it's it's the upside down. I call it life in the upside down. Lately, all we do is do we live in the upside down. But uh, you know, so so these places where you know people can still live in a in a relatively sane environment where where maybe there's just less government intervention and less need for it as well. And yeah. I, I think that makes a ton of sense why people are going to the suburbs because you're around people who have similar values, probably um, you'd hope, and you know, not nearly as busy and congested and filled with things that could happen and need government intervention. So. Um, interesting to see that. So I, I think it's really more of a game as us, us investors have to look at where will be where will people be going in five to ten years? Because it's a matter of the movement of people. And this is another conversation I had on my last podcast. You know, where are people moving, and where will they be moving in the future? And 
all it would take for Florida or Texas to turn cores would be, uh, you know, maybe the election goes the other way next time. And yeah. maybe policies start going in a way that that drive people away. It could happen, right? So yeah. it's that's a tricky thing to navigate and to know um, long term. Like obviously, states where you can go and you know this is a heavily you know conservative area, it's likely to stay that way, and the politics kind of dictate how business is done. Then you know you know, and, and it could work the other way too. Is if you know that an environment works, you know, in a Democrat neighborhood, then you know as long as it stays consistent. <laughs> so right. um, that's the trick, right? I don't, yeah. And I mean, just kind of like, like you said, you know, knowing where the crowd is going is, is probably key to all that. Mm-hmm. And so. we don't have that answer, right? Like you don't know if maybe in 10 years, people are all flocking back to PA or uh, yeah. Philadelphia, right? I mean, so. Who knows? I yeah. After watching, uh, I watched that 2000 mules the other day. Uh, who, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I got to check that out. I heard about that. Apparently, it's been. I mean, we probably get get my uh, YouTube video uh, delisted for saying that. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> Might well, have to beat that, that one out. out. I won't uh, say my uh, my opinion on it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a movie by uh, his last name's D'Souza, right? <laughs> yeah, Denise or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's as much as we'll say. People can look that up. Yeah. Um, okay, Carl. Where should people find you? Follow you? Reach out to you? Yeah. So Instagram is, you know, you, you can put in the description, maybe schnitz 93. Um, if you're interested in, in infinite banking or learning how we use insurance to fund our deals, um, our website's producerswealth.com. You can go on there. It's a quick little, you know, form. If you put Carl in the, how did you hear about us? Um, or, or the podcast info or anything, it'll get sent to me. You know, I'm always willing to hop on a strategy call, answer any questions you have in regards to infinite banking. Um, other than that, you know, social media is kind of best way to, to reach out. Yeah. Awesome. And is there anything else you wanted to cover or you wish I'd asked you or words of wisdom you'd like to share? No, just keep on learning. Life on, lifelong learner, you know? Yeah. That's the way to be, right? Never assume you know the answer. Keep, keep trying exactly. to strive for it, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, I think people graduate you know, high school, college, and they think learning is done after that. Yeah. You know, they don't take the time to read, you know, yeah. mentorships, courses, all that kind of stuff. And I've said this repeatedly, but the older I've gotten, the more I realized that I didn't know anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if only I had started that way, right? Like, in, yeah. you know, when I got done university, I assumed I had a lot of the answers, um, yeah, a lot definitely. more than I should have. So, all right, very cool. It's nice finally connecting with you and having a conversation. I know we've messaged back and forth over the years on on Insta. So, uh, appreciate this, and uh, hopefully, we can uh, meet face to face sometime. Absolutely, I appreciate you having me on. I, I hope your listeners got some, uh, you know, value. Oh, definitely. Yeah, this was fun. All right, thanks a lot, Carl. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one.